Hi guys, my name is Brittany DePriest. And I'm John DePriest. We attend Center Point Apostolic Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We decided to start this podcast to reach our friends and family and share some relatable content. So we hope you will follow along. We will have series that cover a wide range of topics and hopefully one of them will speak to you. Hey y'all, welcome to Straight to the Point. Our first series is called Coming Out of the Darkness. And we chose Coming Out of the Darkness as the name because we know that there are still a lot of people out there, even close people to us, that are living in the darkness of addiction. You have a lot of programs out there. You know, you hear a lot about Celebrate Recovery. We don't feel like we're at a point where we can do a series along those lines because you can't celebrate something you haven't been delivered from. So our hope is to get people talking about the darkness. And when you talk about darkness, it brings light to the situation. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm John and um, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I think that's how we start our... <laughs> um, the AA, whenever I go to AA, that's how we start. Um, but um, yeah, we... I um, have been drinking uh, on and off... Um, since my teenage years, um, into my twenties, um, and all of my thirties. So for the past decade of our marriage, um, was an active alcoholism. Um, and that's, that's what, why this is so near and dear to our hearts. Um, because we know how dark it really is and hopeless. Um, that's a word that I like to use a lot. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that, that we know a little bit about. Um, and now I've been sober for over a year and a half now. Um, and we know a little bit about the trials and tribulations of, <laughs> of um, being sober and then trying to acclimate back to real life. Um, so... Britt, you want to share, like, your side of it? Yeah, so I'm Brittany. Uh, everyone calls me Britt. So um, I just wanted to kind of touch base on the spousal side of it because that is something that is so very near and dear to my heart because it is easy for the family and the loved ones, friends, to get completely overshadowed by the addict even in sobriety because it is a celebration for that person and what they have overcome. But there is a very real and true need for the spouses and the loved ones family to be seen and heard and to feel like they are not alone. Whether your loved one or your family is actively in addiction right now or whether they're recovered, either way, you still have such an important place Mm -hmm. in the addict's life and we hope with this series that you will come to find that whether you're a spouse whether you're a family member or you're just a friend we hope that you will find some encouragement for yourself to be able to love yourself and love the addict through the addiction because addiction is a disease that doesn't just affect the addict it affects everyone that knows the addict and that loves the addict so we hope that there is going to be some positive light and we'll help someone come out of the darkness.
Hey guys, welcome to our first episode. This is going to be mostly the John show because he's the addict and I can't speak for him, but he knows a lot of the things. So I might jump in a little bit just because I can't help myself. But for the most part, we're going to let him explain the addict side of things. Yeah, I am the addict and um, uh, <laughs> the black sheep or however you want. <laughs> Your mom does not like no, when you say that. she does not like when I say that. <laughs> um, but... I am an alcoholic. Um, I grew up in a very religious home, a very um, strict home. Not in the sense of like you couldn't have any fun or you know um, anything like that. Um, but it was very you know right is right, wrong is wrong, um, and sin is sin, and we don't talk about sin. Um, the school that I attended for my thirteen years of education <laughs> was the same way. Uh, pretty much none of the none of the people I went to school with they were all very much uh, involved in church and uh, you didn't talk about alcohol drugs uh, sex or you know any of that stuff for that matter um, so um, yeah I wasn't very educated um, in that side of um, you know all that sin if you want to say so you said you weren't really educated in it. If you were educated in it, would it have made any difference or would it have been a deterrent at all? Would it have made you stop and second guess or were you just going to do what you wanted to do? Um, I would have liked to have had that opportunity, if that makes any kind of sense. We don't know, right? Because um, I, I didn't have that opportunity. Um, I, I like to think that it would have made... A little bit of a difference um, maybe I would have listened sooner um, instead of being in such denial but um, if anybody knows me they also know that I'm very stubborn and I'm I'm almost it, it's kind of the addict tendency um, the more addicts that I meet um, the more I can relate to in the fact of um, hey let's just see what happens you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of crazy um, because whenever I was first in, you know, detox and rehab and and all the rest of that, um, you know, people would say, they'd be like, you know, us addicts are crazy because um, you may know something's going to hurt you and it may, but you go, hey, yeah, look, let's see what happens, you know. So it's kind of, I, I don't know that it would have uh, detoured me. I think that's kind of the, the addict uh, way to be. So, do you think that it's important to talk to people about it? Like, our kids, like, our kids are different, obviously, because they've grown up in it. So, they know what alcoholism looks like. But, as a whole, I was educated on it, and you are not. So, for each of us, you know, we have very different stances on it. But, as far as someone who wasn't educated, who ended up being an alcoholic... Do you think that it's important for people to talk to their kids about it? Or do you think it's safer to not introduce it and only address it once it's a problem? I think it is um, good to talk about it. Um, I, you know, my dad told me um, a while ago, and I hope he doesn't get on to me. He shared this a lot. Um, but he said that he had drank a couple times whenever he was a teenager, and he realized um, this was before he got the Holy Ghost, before he became a preacher and all that. Um, and he said he realized that he liked it too more, too much to ever have it around him again. Um, so 
I'm not that smart, right? Um, but again, not being educated on it, um, I think if I would have known that um, you can end up hurting all these other people as a result of your selfishness, um, you know, I, I think that it would change some of my, um, you know, the way that things kind of went about. Um, just kind of give a little little history. Um, I started, I was first introduced in a, in, to alcohol uh, in my teenage years. Um, and man, and I loved it, you know. Um, anybody... Um, who says that sin is not fun or that you can't have fun, you know, in sin. I mean, well, that's kind of stupid, not, you know, because why are all these people doing it? You know, I mean, there is, um, an aspect of fun to it all. Um, but, um, I quickly, I was one that I was constantly searching it out, right? Even in my teenage years, um, I, you know, illegally, I can't do this, right? It's it's illegal even by law. Um, it's not just sin, but I'm actively seeking um, this out so that I can just keep doing it, keep doing it. Um, you know, I would have if I got a hold of some, I would stash it in my car, and you know, I if it was beer or whatever it was, I I would even drink it warm, even not being that much into it like you know whatever it took i wanted to do it you know um and then um it just progressed even more and more into my 20s um uh, the people that i hung out with you know it was you know um some of the jobs that i had um it it really fueled that i, I had a traveling job and i was on my own um and you know basically you could do whatever you want um, once the job was done. Uh, so that really fueled that I no holds barred. Like I can, I can really do this 24 seven, even if I wanted to. Um, so there was a couple times in my twenties that some of my friends and, you know, my family is, you know, even if we would talk about it, <laughs> um, you know, it'd be, you know, kind of shameful like I never wanted to talk about it but I had some friends um that were you know they would say we're gonna get your family involved like if you don't chill out you know um and this is even people who are you know that I'm actively drinking with and they're realizing in me there's something way different and there's something um way crazy about me and this particular um drug, alcohol, all this stuff. Um, so, um, that was my earliest dealings with it. It eventually led to, um, me being arrested, um, for a DUI. I actually wasn't driving or anything. Um, I was, I was so out of it. I was just, I was in my car and I got arrested. Um, and, um, I had to make that phone call to my pastor father uh to get him to come bail me out of jail so you were in your car what but like were you going to drive were you like explain that more yeah i don't even know no i i didn't have 
I remember um, I was with a buddy and I uh, went out to my car. It was very cold. Um, so I got in my car, I turned the heat all the way up and, uh, reclined my seat actually, um, cause I was going to sleep. Um, the problem was, is I was on the square in Murfreesboro, um, and, that they regularly <laughs> patrol and, uh, my car was running, mm. uh, with the heater on. And, um, if you're in the, uh, driver's seat, you have the intent to drive. So, um, Yeah. That's what did it to me. Um, would I, I, I did not have the plan to drive right then, but if I, at any point, whenever I woke up, I would have still been, you know, probably past the legal limit, um, and then would have drove from there. Um, so, yeah, that's. So it's, it's an interesting thing that you're in your car with the intent to drive. You weren't driving but you still got arrested. So I think that's an interesting aspect of it that a lot of people don't think, you know, an addict gets arrested. You're like, oh, it's for possession, DUI, Mm. fight, something. And this time it was just because you were cold and trying to sleep one off at the square. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I I was in a transition period in my work life and um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, I actually had an interview for this job. Um... And I didn't want to go out that night. My buddy actually basically begged me to go. Um, And, um, yeah, I didn't want to go because I had this interview. And I ended up going anyways. And then I get a DUI. Um, Then I have to call my parents, which, you know, I I really hate um, (laughs) to even involve them. You know, but they, I, at that point I was out of options um and my dad he came um and one of the the most life-changing things that um that he ever said to me was um did you learn how to play the harmonica while you were in there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but no I, i was so depressed i was so um just done with everything i i really felt like this was rock bottom for me and he he asked me if he remembered that I had a job interview. And then he even towed my car because it was still in a parking spot. They just left it there. Um, my car had not moved. Um, so I told Dad, I said, you know, take me back to my car. i got to figure out what I'm doing in my life. You know, this this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, I'm upset and all this. And he said, no, I'm not going to take you back to your car. I'm going to take you to your apartment. And you're going to get cleaned up because you're in no shape to go to an interview right now. Um, but he said, I'm going to take you to that interview. And I don't care if you just make me wait for an hour and then call me back. <laughs> um, but you don't need to, just because you've messed up, you don't need to stop trying and stop going forward with your life. Well, I'm so glad he made you go yeah, to that interview. I am too, because that that job I ended up getting, <laughs> yes, and we ended up meeting each other, um, and that's where we met, and and our family started. Um, so it's it's kind of cool how um, God can take very bad things um, and then make them work to His plan. Um, because would we have ever met? I don't know. Um, only God knows that. Um, but what we do know is 
what happened for us and it's really cool how he ordered our steps so we met Mm-hmm. you turned me down for a halloween party wouldn't come mm-hmm. hurt my feelings but i ended up asking you for your new phone because you were showing it off in the break room so i just you know real sneakily put my digits in your phone mm-hmm. and then called myself from your phone that way i would have your number to text you later so we went out i had no idea any of this was going on i right. had no idea the entire time you worked there there was a pretty good gap between the time you started and the time we started dating mm-hmm. i had no idea were you still drinking at that point i don't think i've ever asked you that actually were you still drinking like when you were working there. I know when we started dating, you were. You right. had several nights where I had to take you back home. Not not whenever um, I first started there. No, I really um, was trying my hardest to... to um, they call it dry drunk is what they call it. Like, you you get caught, you, you, <laughs> you have consequences... So you try to prove to yourself and to everybody else that it's really not an issue. Um, so you try to do it yourself. You try to get sober yourself. You try to uh, walk the straight and narrow. But you really don't address any of the issues that are going on. Um, and that kind of transitions into, as well, you know, we got um, married. Um, and I still remember what... Uh, you telling me that she's um, that you had a conversation with my mom, and she said, "No matter what, don't ever let him drink." <laughs> and Oops. I re- yeah, I remember being like, I, mean, "I don't know what she's talking about." And me not being any kind of like educated at all, I was I was early twenties. Mm. I was a baby. Mm. I had no idea, and I honestly thought, "I'm sorry, Carla. I love you." I thought she was being dramatic. Now mm. I know her. I know it's not drama, but at the time, <laughs> I'm 22. I'm just yeah. able to drink, and I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, okay. I'm gonna keep my fun, cute yeah. husband from not drinking with me. Whatever." Yeah. I had no idea that that was such a heartfelt and mm. yeah loving concern from a mom and that just goes to show you like one it's so misunderstood alcohol a drug no mm-hmm. and also you're in your young 20s you do not know as much as you think you do no no so i mean i i wish i would have listened to her mm-hmm. um that played in my mind over the next several years yeah. um but yeah i love you carla <laughs> um yeah so you know we um, I don't think you even knew, like, in early marriage how how much I actually was. No, because um, I thought it was fun. I was like, oh, yeah, cool, you yeah. want to go to the bar? Let's go. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, you are still going, and I'm right. not. So at the time, it did not add up. Right. I was oblivious. Yeah. And then uh, you got the Holy Ghost um, in our early marriage yep. as well. You, uh, you really hitched the horse to the whole God train, and I was... I was not there Mm-mm. at all, um, as well as you were pregnant with our first child, um, and you know it. It was one of those things where it was like, uh, you know, how am I still going to do this? And you can't do anything, and you're changing, and um, I'm not changing at all. And how's this going to work? Um, that was a a big part of it. 
And I remember um, whenever our first child was born, um, you you were already laying down that you have an issue, you have problems with this, like you um, you really need to have this addressed or um, however you would say it at the time. And I remember I went on another one of those dry drunk things where it was, you know what, nobody knows. Everybody thinks they know me, right? And everybody thinks they have me figured out. But you don't, and I'm going to prove it to you. And there was about two years, yeah. It was that the we, most miserable two yeah, years. Yeah, it was. Um, miserable even than when you were actively drinking. Right. Because you made sure to hold it over my head. Now, I'm not drinking. I right. could be, but I'm not. And right. it was... Like, wait, I'm supposed to be thankful for that? Like, are you kidding me? Oh, wait, hello, red flag, gaslighting. Mm. Now we know. Yeah. And um, now, and I, I know how to label that because I've talked to <laughs> other alcoholics and, and they've gone through the same thing um, where it's, I'm going to prove it to everyone else. I'm going to prove it to myself um, that I am not an alcoholic, um, I, that I do not have a problem. Um, that's how I know that that's what was happening at the time. So then we ended up going, um, I think we introduced it back at some point, like a gradual thing. And of course I'm excited, right? And you, I still remember at the time you're like, I don't know about this, John, you know? Um, and you always made me like promise up and down. I would never mention it to your parents, which looking back was a giant, red flag flag. and I never did and that is something that I am a huge advocate for if you're listening to this addict portion of it and you're not the addict and you're the loved one friend family whatever speak up speak up if you feel it is not right it is not right I could have saved us both a lot of health issues and heartache over the years if I would have not listened to the addict begging me not to shed light on his dark addiction right so we you know kind of to gloss over you know a lot of the same mundane thing there's a lot of the same fights a lot of the same arguments a lot of john being drunk um a lot of i don't remember a whole lot of this time um and that's the sad part that's the that's really the parts that you lose out on we even have conversations to this day oh do you remember this john and i i can do nothing but you know, sink into myself because I realize I have no clue um, about this because it's a loss to that addiction side. And whether I was drunk at the time or not, it's still part of that hazy... You spent a lot of time in that brownout period. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, for both of our kids, um, there's a lot of uh, their childhood that I can't ever get back and I can't ever... Um, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, uh, it's harder looking back the lost time of family. Um, that's a really, really hard one. Um, because it's just wasted time whenever you go back and think of it. But you can't think on that too long because then you'll, (laughs) you'll, you know, just sit in it and, and loathe. Um, and what that all kind of culminated, um, to... Um, 2022, um, the beginning of that year, I went into the hospital. You took me to the ER 
because um, I was basically having a, a panic attack um, and my heart was not in good shape. You were having severe chest pain. You were mm-hmm. sweaty. I've never seen you just like cold sweaty like mm. that. You couldn't breathe. You were on night shift and like you were sick to your stomach. And I was like, this is classic heart attack like Mm. this is bad and like it's not getting worse it's not getting better it's only getting worse and so i mean i just remember being like uh, okay you know you were so heavy in your drinking at this point and this sounds terrible but if you're in the boat that i was in you will understand this and if you are not in that boat i am so happy for you but please do not judge me i was actually pretty happy that it was happening. I was like, this is going to be what makes him stop. Oh, thank you. Jesus, don't let him die, but let this shake his cage enough that he's going to stop drinking. You know, a heart event, that's going to wake some people up. We got there, your EKG was abnormal, and they were like very sure you were having a heart event. Come to find out, it was just the effects of so much heavy drinking. Yeah, and... um. That kind of leads us into April. Um, our oldest was on spring break, and we were going to have this um, big week. You know, he was he was getting baptized that Monday. Um, we were going to a um, Predators game on that Tuesday, and it was just going to be me and him having a big week. His little brother was in, you know, daycare and all that, and um, we were just going to have this big time. We we're going to have this, you know, fun time. Um, and we did up until that Predators game. And, um, you know. That's when I knew something was really bad because you guys were on TV. Yeah. I saw you guys on the TV. I have the video on my phone still. And Kaysen was over the moon. But yeah. you had that look that I had seen for the last 10 years right. on your face. And I was like, he is, he's drunk. And he's not just drunk, drunk. He's He's gone. The last thing I remember was um, uh, the first intermission. And, you know, it's it really is. It's sad to see, to reflect and to, to look back on yourself, like the things that you subject yourself and others to. Um, because I do not remember um, from that um, first intermission on um, until... Um, which you'll have to speak to this about that week. Um, I the next thing I remember is Saturday morning, uh, waking up in a hospital bed. Um, and um, that was that was the hardest part for me was your mom had been let in on it by a completely innocent remark with Kaysen. She mm. had asked how was the game because it was. One of his first games, not his first one, thankfully, but it was one of them. And he said, oh, it's fine until dad kept throwing up all night. And she was like, uh-oh. And she knew right then that you were drinking again mm. and heavy. Mm. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't. Kaysen never told me that. I was already in bed because I was working the next day. Mm. So I had no idea any of that. Um, I think the thing that to this day... I still, it just makes my stomach turn was that you were so blacked out drunk and you drove our kid home. Right. And I thank God every single chance I get that you 
got here safely. Right. That he was unharmed, you were unharmed, and other people on the road were unharmed. Right. That right there was, <laughs> that was the effects of many prayers over your life, I feel mm-hmm. like, because there was no reason you should have ever made it home because you blacked out from then until Saturday, right. Tuesday to Saturday. Right. Wednesday, you got increasingly more agitated and just angry. Mm. Uh, me and the boys tried our very best to stay out. We had just moved into our house, mm-hmm. so we had plenty to keep us busy. We were unpacking the house and setting it all up, and we, you know, we just left you where we always did on the couch. And Kason was like, "Oh, it's okay, mom. Dad's had a a long a long week, and he's on vacation. Just you mm. know, we'll just do what we always do, and we'll just leave him here, and we'll come back, and he'll wake up later." And you did, but it was awful. And it was just hateful, just terrifying things coming out of your mouth. And you wouldn't talk to us. And if you did, it wasn't good. Um, I remember sitting at my desk crying in my office during one of my shifts, texting your mom to please come get the kids because this was bad. This this was the breaking point for me. Mm. Um, and that's actually how I was let in. Um, with some people from church, they knew some people got in touch with me. They were, we were staging an intervention. We Mm. were getting ready to do an intervention. Mm. I talked to him. He had given me, he's like a trained professional in it, told me all the things that we needed to do, who needed to be there. I had contacted your best friend. I had contacted our pastor at the time from our previous church, Um, I was in talks with your parents trying to figure out what to do, who needed to be there. Um, but I needed your mom to get the kids and I needed them to be safe because you were getting to a point that was violent and not safe. And Mm. I could not let anything happen to the babies. (laughs) Me, for some reason, you know, as a spouse, we, we don't think about us. We think about as parents, babies, protect them. Right. I wanted them gone. Right. And safe. I wasn't worried about my safety. And it, it got really bad. I mean, it was dangerous. And yeah. I'm thankful God <laughs> did not allow that to happen. But all of that to say, that Saturday morning, yeah, you woke up. Woke up in the hospital and they um, they had starting, you know, IVs and they started flushing me, <laughs> flushing me out. And um, they took, um, what, CAT scans and yep, MRIs. Um, and they were looking everything over. Um, and it was pretty much because your belly was so distended uh, or bloated, um, from the insane amount of alcohol. When I say this is the worst bender he's ever been on, keep in mind, this is 10 years worth. So he's had some doozies in the past. This one was, it was unbelievable. I don't know how he was still functioning, but no food. Yeah, no food. Um, I remember the doctor walking in, um, and he was telling me, you know, the list of everything that's going on. Um, you know, my heart, um, liver. You know, um, the mental aspect of it as well. Uh, just the addiction side coming off. Um, um, you know, being addicted to something. So, um, and then he would talk about my liver, and you know, I was fatty li- liver disease, but I was appro- I was approaching. Um, was I approaching the um, cirrhosis? Cirrhosis. Yeah, it was you in had, the early stages of it. You had pretty yeah. advanced 
originally you had the beginnings and then you had advanced fatty liver and your liver panels were yeah. just completely and off. i remember i remember the doc he said um you um the way that you are going you will die and you will die a very painful death and um people i don't like um i would never want them to die this way and you are headed there really fast and if you don't get some help then you will um you will die a long and tragic death like it is it is not pretty and is not um something that anybody should have to to deal with um but that's where you're at and I just remember going, huh, well, I mean, you put it like that, then I guess I, yeah, I'll look into that, Doc. And then she chimes up from over in the corner, <laughs> and she's like, well, we got you into a detox, um, and you can go there tonight, or you can go there tomorrow, but it's all set up for you, and you need to go. And I, I was floored. Um, and the know, best because, part was, because you were looking for an excuse not to go. No, yeah, if it, if it would have left it up to me. <laughs> I, I had already, I had already talked to mm-hmm. your boss at work, yeah. who I've never even met, thanks to a mutual friend that also works there mm-hmm. with you. Right. He helped me navigate the waters of the FMLA side because it's covered. It is, it is, it is mm-hmm. very highly encouraged to get yourself right. right. And so I had every answer ready for yeah. any opposition. Insurance covers. We found one in network. We found one with a bed. Your boss is all for you taking care of it. I've got the kids. I mean, every opportunity you had to say no, I was prepared to fight because... And you did. Yeah, you did. And I I remember we came home and I cried like a baby for a day and a half straight. Yeah. It was... (laughs) A lot of crying. I I didn't have much sympathy for you. No, no. And and I I could tell that and I could tell... yeah. And, you know, I can't blame you. There, there's a lot of emptiness there. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt that was um, put on you for no other reason than, than my own selfishness. And, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it was like a day and a half of, you know, these this decade-long addictions just smacking me right in the face. Now I'm having to answer um for everything i can't blame it on um you know i can't blame it on anybody else you know the position that i'm in it's not because of a friend it's not because of um a family it's not because of a situation this is my choices have caught up to me and now i have to face it and i have to um address it so we ended up um I said my goodbyes like I was going to prison for five years to everybody because <laughs> um, that's what it felt like. And we, you took me to um, the detox facility on Sunday night um, at like 10 at night, yeah. which was crazy. Way past and, my uh, bedtime. Yeah. You're welcome. And um, I walked in, and I can't tell you the weight that lifted off my shoulders whenever I walked in through that door. Um, it... Um, it was it was a completely wonderful feeling it's like whenever i walked through those doors i i myself was labeling branding however you want to put it um 
I was labeling myself as an addict. I was finally, after all these years, accepting that me, John DePriest, has a problem that I am here to deal with and I want to address. Um, and uh, it was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I had, um, you know, they obviously monitor alcoholics very well. They, they really didn't believe that I was in the hospital the night before, so they wake you up um, every two hours just to take your vitals, and um, they do that for three days straight. Because withdrawals are very serious, yeah, and yeah. that's actually what took you. We didn't mm, mention right. that. That's actually how you ended up in the hospital. Right, and they ended up treating me in the ER instead of they in detoxed, detoxed you yeah, for you. They detoxed me ahead of time and fi- more fast, excuse me, faster than they do the people that just walk in a detox. Um, after being there and seeing the way that they, they do those other people. But it's um, it was such a great, great um, thing for our family um, and uh, more so me. And I remember uh, one of the first days that I was there, they have some meditation in the morning or something like that. And um, um, I was the first one in there and I'm just kind of chilling out and I read that it was a meditation thing, uh, you know, and I didn't know how these things were going. And, you know, I'm just sitting there. I'm the new guy, you know, and um, everybody's just quiet and stuff like that. So I begin to pray and I, um, and God came and he gave me a vision um, and he spoke to me and he said um, the vision was. Um, basically I'm standing, um, just looking behind me and there's nothing but destruction. It looked like, you know, um, natural disaster just happened behind you and it was dark and it was cold and it was just, um, miserable. And then, um, I look in front of me and there's nothing. It's just blank and it's white. Um, and it's, um, it's warm and it's, you know, a a beautiful, just blank page basically. And God told me, he said, you, you can keep going the way that you, you look behind you. That's, that's what you've caused. And that's what, if you continue this way, that's what it's always going to be. But if you go this other way there's really there's nothing out there but it's blank and we can start going um we can start making things out of this and um it's bright and it's hope and it was my first glimpse of hope you know and here i am in this detox facility um and i've been in great church services and i've been you know i felt god before but i don't know that i felt him as close as in that detox facility and i think um, that was his plan all along because it, um, he had to separate me to find hope. And that's where, um, I love this verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's where we're going to end it with that verse because that verse has so much power. No matter your role in addiction, whether you are the addict or you're the loved one, that is a verse that... I feel everyone needs to have on repeat in their mind when addiction is wreaking havoc. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll pick this up with our second episode. It'll be mostly me.